this life. And the purpose for that is so that way we can show the world. You know, Jake hit on it in the tithe message. We want to show the world what God's nature is like. And we do that by developing a solid foundation because we're learning to live from this new position. We're learning to live and operate from a new level. And we are learning to live in the kingdom. We're growing in who we are with the kingdom mindset. And as we started this whole foundation series, we started with Jesus, the cornerstone. And in John chapter one, verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. And there we go. For his, of his fullness, I cut out a verse there to, to save some time. For of his fullness, we have all received and grace upon grace. So we talked about how grace is the empowering presence of God that enables us to be like Jesus and that truth is the perspective of God that establishes who we are in Jesus. So we're gonna review the foundations real quick from Hebrews chapter six. We went over the first one, which is repentance from dead works. The second one was faith towards God. The third one was doctrine of baptisms. The fourth was laying on of hands. The fifth, which we talked about last week, was resurrection of the dead. So we learned about how Jesus is a quickening spirit, that resurrection power is quickening our mortal bodies, is quickening our minds, is making us more alert, making us more aware of the times that we live in. And this week, we're gonna talk about eternal judgment. You guys aren't applauding. That's a, that's a great subject, right? Hellfire and brimstone, eternal, come on. It's, it's, it's a great subject, and we're gonna make it fun. Okay, so before we get into the subject of eternity, for, for me to paint this landscape of eternity, it's important to understand how God ordered eternity. Now, eternity has no beginning, it has no end. And that's, that's tough for us to understand. So what God did was he developed ages of time to help us. And these ages of time are discussed in Hebrews chapter one, which is the very same book that we get to the foundations. So in Hebrews chapter one, verse one, we read that in many separate revelations, each of which set forth a portion of the truth and in different ways God spoke of old to our forefathers and by the prophets. But in, these last, in the last of these days, he has spoken to us in the person of a son whom he appointed heir and lawful owner of all things, also by and through whom he created the worlds and the reaches of space and the ages of time. He made, produced, built, operated, and arranged them in order. So here's what God is doing. He takes this thing called eternity, which has no beginning, no end, but he establishes time so that way he can relate to man and help us to understand and get our bearings. So we have these ages of time. So I wanna cover them real quick. They're called dispensations. And they're all marked by different covenants. So you have the first one, which is the age of innocence, which started with Adam and Eve and ended at the fall. Then you have the age of conscience, which started at the fall and the ends at the flood. The age of human government, which is the third, which started with Noah, ended with Abraham. Then we have the age of promise, started with Abraham, and it goes all the way to Moses. Then we have the fifth, which is the age of the law, which goes from Moses to Pentecost. And it's really important to note here at this fifth age that it ended seven years prematurely according to the prophecies in Daniel. Not gonna go into all that. We would be here for a week just on the prophecies of Daniel. Now the sixth age, which is the most exciting because it's the age that we're in. It's called the church age or the age of grace or the age of mystery. And it goes from Pentecost 
to the rapture. And we talked about the rapture last week. And then there's the seventh age, which is the millennium or the millennial reign of Jesus. It's a thousand year period. And it begins with the second coming of Jesus. Now, Ephesians chapter three, verse one. Paul writes, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if you indeed have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. So now what's happening here? If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile, right? So what God is doing, so the God of the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Moses and the Israelites, and the God of the Jews, what he's doing is he is making all people his children. He is making and taking to himself all people, Jews, Gentiles, whatever, and he's putting us all under the umbrella all who believe in Jesus. This was a mystery. Paul preached the unsearchable riches of Christ to, to make all see that we're connected as a family. This was a mystery. This fellowship of people was a mystery that was hidden from the beginning and then revealed as God's manifold wisdom through the church family. So this is exciting because this is the age in which we now live. And the rapture is part of this mystery. So it's imperative that we real quick, we're gonna revisit a verse that we talked about last week. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 says, For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a shout of command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be suddenly caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So those who have gone on before us are loved ones that have already died. Those who are dead in Christ are gonna be risen first. So their spirit, which is with Jesus right now in heaven, is gonna be reunited with their bodies as those are risen from the grave. So we talked about last week, how cool would it be to witness that at a graveyard? That would be the most boss thing ever. But then in an instant, those of us who are still alive, we're gonna be transformed and we're gonna receive our resurrection bodies. And mine's gonna be about six foot seven, about 225. And it's gonna be so much fun. So this is what we call the first separation, okay? First separation, believers are taken up, non-believers are left behind. Does that ring a bell? There's been a slew of books and movies that have come off of what's gonna happen in the tribulation called Left Behind. Don't watch the one with Nicolas Cage, all right? You're gonna think you wanna watch it because it's got Nicolas Cage. Our small group watched it. Ben, was it good? No, it was horrible. Don't watch that one, I'm saving you. If you have, you know what I'm talking about. So this is the first separation. And Jesus never taught about the rapture or the church age because no one would have had any idea what he was talking about. It was a mystery. However, Jesus spends an extensive amount of time teaching his disciples about the tribulation and the second coming. So, I want you to repeat after me, rapture? Tribulation, second coming. Remember that in that order. Rapture, tribulation, second coming. So the disciples, when Jesus is teaching all these things, they, they're thinking that, oh, Christ is gonna come and establish his kingdom. They, were, they didn't have any idea of the mystery of Christ in you, the hope of glory. All they thought was that Jesus was gonna come, defeat the Roman Empire, and set up a kingdom, and they were all gonna be kings too, and it was just gonna be cool because they were gonna be like warriors. 
Well, that's not what Jesus was referring to. So why does Jesus spend such extensive time teaching his disciples about the tribulation and the second coming? To answer this question, we must first understand that God does not want the church. He does not want us to know when his second coming will be. And the, and the reason is, he wants us to have a balance. He wants our lives to have a balance of anticipation and urgency. And that's gonna be our main focus of tonight. So the practical application of tonight, and my assignment is to equip you to have that sense of anticipation and urgency for right now. If there were no rapture, we could easily predict Jesus' second coming. All we had to do was just read the events and the signs. The Bible says that the rapture will come as a thief in the night to snatch away the church. And after the rapture, the events of which Jesus speaks of, those events are gonna unfold. So check this out. This is a fact. There are more people living right now on planet Earth than have ever existed in history. That's crazy, and that's gonna continue to be the fact the more that we go along. So that is just a massive, a massive amount of people. And God desires that each and every person experience salvation through Jesus Christ. So after the rapture happens, there's gonna be much confusion and chaos. The Bible speaks of mass evangelism that's gonna happen during this time period. And it's gonna be the darkest time in human history, but it's gonna be a time where so many people are coming to know Jesus. These future Christians are gonna need a crash course in the end times to know how to stay alive and to stay safe during the tribulation. So if you're here tonight and you're an unbeliever, I recommend that you read Matthew chapter 24. Because all of a sudden when we all disappear and we're gone, and you're looking around and somebody gives some kind of a gullible yet believable reason why this happened, you might wanna go check out Matthew 24 because Jesus gives a chronological he gives, he gives a chronological order of events that happened during the tribulation leading to his second coming. So, as believers, we're not gonna be here, so we're not gonna focus on that. As believers, we're focused on the rapture. Although the word rapture is not mentioned in the Bible, it is one of the single most important events in the life of a Christian. So there's two comings of the Lord yet to occur, the rapture and the second coming with the tribulation in between. Remember, rapture, tribulation, second coming. Okay, there's been a lot of confusion concerning these two. The books of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians were written by Paul to the church at Thessalonica to clear up the confusion on this issue. Christians thought at that time that they were living in the tribulation because the Roman Emperor Nero was a psychopath. I mean, this, there's nobody I've even known in history that had you know, any kind of weight on Nero. This dude was crazy. So they thought they were in the, in, in the tribulation. So Paul writes these letters. He writes the first one to correct the false teaching and wrong theories that were spreading. And he writes the second letter because someone had written a false letter and attributed it to Paul. Don't you hate it when somebody falsely represents you? That irks me. So it's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 where we're going to notice that there are two comings, one in verse 1 and one in verse 8. And everything that happens in between are events that happen during the tribulation. So 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 1. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, this is the coming, this is the coming which is the rapture, because we meet, the, we meet Jesus in the air. The second coming, Jesus actually comes down and touches the earth. 
which are two different, very different. So in between verse one and verse eight is what happens in the tribulation. So so 2 Thessalonians chapter two, verse eight says, and then the lawless one or the antichrist, the son of perdition, he's, he's the abomination, the one of lawlessness. He's revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. That's what I'm looking forward to. I don't, there's other moments that you can look forward to, but that is cool because it, in Revelations, it talks about that that is the Jesus with a flaming sword and eyes of fire. He's gonna be on a white horse and we're all gonna be with him. And it's not even gonna be a battle. He's just gonna wipe out the enemy with the breath of his mouth and the brightness of his coming. That is the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the magnificent and the triumphant one. So this is the second separation. Unlike the first, non-believers are removed and believers are left. So non-believers are removed to await the great white throne judgment, which we're gonna talk about in a minute. And believers are left behind. So those believers that survive the tribulation, at that point, they get their resurrected bodies. We all come down from heaven, we're all together. So what happens is this is eternal judgment. After the rapture occurs, the world enters the tribulation, while we, the believers, the church, are fashioned into the, into the, as the bride of Christ. So there's gonna be seven years of hell on earth, but there's gonna be seven years of partying in heaven. So imagine the craziest wedding reception that you've ever been to. Minus the debauchery, this is what it's gonna be like in heaven. I mean, it's gonna be crazy. We're all gonna be dancing, eating, having fun, revisiting with loved ones that have gone on before us. I mean, it's gonna be insane. I can imagine the hashtags that you can associate with that on social media. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8, we're going to read here. So what's happening? At the second coming, we all receive our resurrected bodies. I get my big one. I'll be tall. You all get your resurrected bodies. We've all just come down from a party in heaven. We're reunited with everybody that survived the tribulation. So it's all good times, right? At this point, we face the judgment seat of Christ, which is an awesome thing. So it talks about this in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8. It says, and we are not afraid, but are quite content to die. For then we will be at home with the Lord. So our aim is to please him always in everything we do, whether we are in him in this body or away from this body and with him in heaven. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged and have our lives laid bare before him. Each of us will receive whatever he deserves for the good or bad things he has done in this earthly body. So up until that point, everything that we're doing in this life right now, we're gonna go into the judgment seat of Christ. And the Greek word there for judgment seat is bema. And it does not mean judgment, it means rewards. So the Olympics in Corinth produced the best games in the ancient world. The winner would go stand in front of the bema, where the rulers sat and they would be crowned. They'd be crowned the victor. And this crown consisted of olive leaves, but it was such a unique crown, it meant that the winner, um, their, their, them and their whole families were tax exempt. Can I get an amen on that one? They were fed for their lives, they were clothed for their lives, and they were given lifetime seats at the games. That's cool. So you mean that I'm not gonna go into heaven and there's not gonna be a big projector screen that's gonna display all my whole life and I've gotta sit there and watch the things that I did. That's not what the judgment seat of Christ is, okay? All of the wrath and judgment was poured out upon the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ for us believers. 
The Bible talks about how fear, when there's fear, we fear judgment. And the Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear. And God's perfect love was poured out upon the body of the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross. So there's no fear of judgment for us. It's all rewards. So let's talk about those rewards. This is where it gets fun. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, it says, We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building, according to the grace of God, which was given to me. As a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. There's that word again. And another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. So we're God's garden, right? He's still working on us. He's constantly pruning, fertilizing, weeding, watering, killing the bugs, taking care of our lives, causing us to grow stronger. What a foundation that we've got here that Paul talks about, which is our salvation in Jesus Christ, full of grace and full of truth. Verse 11, for no other foundation can anyone lay that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So without Jesus, a person can't even make the reward seat. Verse 12, now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. So let the fire fall down. It's gonna fall down on your life's work. So here's the picture that it's given, right? You're gonna come in and you're gonna have your little red wagon, right? Radio flyer. You're pulling this wagon and you've got all the stuff that you've ever done in your life. All of your giving, all of your good deeds, every nice thing that you've done, everything that you've ever done is, that you would classify as a good work that you've done for God is gonna be in this, in, this, in this wagon. And you're gonna stack it all up on this altar, right? It's gonna make a nice stack. And then the fire is gonna hit it. The, the gold, the silver, the precious stones are gonna remain, but the wood, the hay, and the straw are gonna light up into flames. And verse, verse 14 says, if anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. So how do we build? Think about this. Every time that we're giving into the offering bucket, if we're giving with a cheerful heart and we're giving out of faith, we're stacking up rewards and treasures for ourselves in heaven, gold, silver, precious stones. If we're giving out of obligation because we just feel like we have to and we're just obeying the rules, that is a dead work. That is wood, hay, and straw, and it's gonna get lit up in fire. Anything that you do with a motive of faith, because the Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if you don't do it in faith, it's gonna burn. So make sure that everything that you're doing as far as a good work, your motive is right. Our motives have eternal value. What we do in life echoes in eternity. Gladiator, if you haven't seen it, fantastic movie. But it's true. What we do in life echoes throughout all of eternity. And our motives have eternal weight. So what we do in faith and pleases God will remain. These are our good works. What we do with any other motive will be burned as these are dead works. Maybe some of us have done things so that way we could be seen and people would think we're spiritual. I'm guilty of that. I know I'm gonna have some stuff burn up. Are you? Probably. But now that we know this, 
we can check our motives. That's why eternal judgment is so important because these rewards are going to last forever. So what if you, what if you say, hey, I got born again late in life and I didn't have any time to do anything good. What's going to happen there? Well, the Bible says that you'll have a white robe and a palm leaf. You'll have that in heaven, which is great. But I want to go in with a crown that I can't even hold up. Well, I can because of my resurrected body. It'll be six foot seven. But I want to go in with all these jewels and rewards that are going to last forever. And, you know, I want everybody I see in heaven to be like, man, what'd you do in life? Oh, man, we were serving the Lord. You know, that's awesome. So what do we do right now? For those of you who haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is what happens. There's a place called the Great White Throne Judgment. And that's bad. If you make it to that place, there's no redemption for you. That means you've rejected Jesus, you've, reject, you've rejected salvation, you've rejected his gift. So what happens at the end of this thousand year millennial reign, it's gonna be peace and harmony. It says that in Revelation chapter 20. All of us, we're gonna be just chilling out with Jesus here on earth. He's gonna be our king. We're gonna, it's gonna be so much fun. Now after that thousand years, Satan and everybody else that was taken at the end at the second coming, they're gonna be sent to the great white throne judgment. They don't get to plead their case. They go before Jesus, you rejected him, bam, like a fire. That stinks. So what do we do now? If you're an unbeliever, I'm not trying to scare you into heaven, but it ain't good. And that's not a popular message, especially in our culture. But if our foundation is good, we're going to be able to present that with grace and truth in a way that helps people understand that they are loved and that God gave his best to make sure that they don't have to participate in that great white throne judgment. So for us as believers, what do we do right now? In the scope of eternity, how do we find meaning in each and every day? Because all we have is right now. Right this moment, all we have is now. Today could possibly be the day that Jesus shouts that command, making the end of our life here on earth. So in a sense, today could echo throughout eternity of how we finished. Ephesians 5 verse 15 says, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now the days or the time are evil because we live most of them in opposition to God. Whether we like to admit it or not, we spend a lot of our time living outside of the will of God. You take the most spiritual person in here, I guarantee you they're still spending some time living outside the will of God. Why do we do that? Because we're constantly, listen, if you're, if you're gonna enjoy an extravagant life, where you're flowing in boldness and courage and God's using you like a mighty warrior and he's using you like an instrument to do amazing things, which is what the Bible declares that he wants each and every one of us to do, it's gonna be uncomfortable. He's gonna take us into places where we're, we're gonna be scared in the natural. He's gonna take us into places where we're gonna have to do things that just scare the heebie-jeebies out of us. But it's gonna be glorious. But what happens is we get into situations that we don't think we can handle 
So we find something that we can handle to distract us. Sound familiar? We get so accustomed to living with distractions that we spend most of our time unaware of God. We go through life living with an illusion. We've created this false sense of self because we are constantly dwelling in our past to predict our future, never being present in the now. So if you think about it, we all do this. We're constantly mulling over what happened yesterday, what happened a year ago, what happened when we were kids, what happened when, whatever, the, whatever past event that you wanna bring to your thoughts right now. We go back to those past events as if we can do something about them to try to redeem our future. And the enemy loves it. He's got us when we do that because we're living in the past, we're, we're, we're trying to project our future God wants us to be present right now. Because this unfruitful time travel that we do has nothing to do with our true identity in Christ. We forsake the truth, which remember is the perspective of God that establishes who we are in Jesus and become totally ignorant of the will of God. We dismiss the grace of God, which is the empowering presence of God that enables us to be like Jesus. And we resort to living a life that is far below the wonderful potential that God has for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm going to close with this verse. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Quit living in the past. Quit trying to project your future. God says today is the day of salvation and right now is the time of God's favor. God wants us to be so present in the moment that each and every moment is a defining moment of who we are in Jesus. God is so trying to captivate us every single day, trying to help us avoid danger, trying to show us which path to walk, and we're so unaware that we don't get it. We blame things on God. We, the bad things that happen in our lives, we blame God because we're not listening. I'm telling you, God is so captivated and in love with us that he is calling us to wake up right now and to live as if today means everything. That, my friends, is what living the Christian life is all about. That is the eternal now. That is how we're supposed to live. Isn't that glorious? So my question to you tonight how are you gonna to make tonight a defining moment for you? How are you gonna wake up tomorrow going, you know what, tomorrow's gonna be different. It's gonna be different than every other day I've ever lived in my life because I'm awake and I wanna experience the fullness of God. I won't settle for anything less than his fullness. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, thank you, Lord, that you've introduced us to your grand design for us as your children and as your family, and that you wanna do exciting, extravagant things through us, and you wanna help us show others your glory, to show others the sacrifice that Jesus made so that way, that way we can bring them into your family. God, we thank you that the operative word in the gospel for us is go. I thank you, Lord, that we are so inspired and motivated and determined to go, to go out there and to represent you and to do great and wonderful and mighty things, no matter how comfortable it is. Because you are the God of all comfort. And we know that your comfort is with us wherever we go. Whatever we go into, God, you're with us.